Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, it's glad to have you here. My name is Josh. I'm new. Some of you guys might recognize me. Others of you might be uh, wondering who I am. I'm the, the new adult ministries pastor. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. Uh, let's pray and get going. We've got a lot going on today. Uh, Lord, um, we come to you. Lord, your word this morning is heavy. Lord, I do not apologize at all for your word. I ask that your spirit would stir in us and would draw us, that our affections would be moved towards clinging to you and letting go of what we want to hold on to, because there's so many things that we want that aren't you, and they're keeping us from you, and we're going to see where that leads today. It leads to destruction. Jesus, your words are heavy today. I pray that, that you would help us not ignore them. Open our eyes, open our hearts, move us today, we pray. Amen. Um, if you were here the last couple of weeks, you know that we just went through and finished the book of Jonah. We had a short, but, um, but I think sufficient study of the book. We're going to kind of finish that study up with the Old Testament book of Zephaniah. Right, I know some of you guys are thinking of that billboard out there, the Destruction Day, 21st. Um, or is it the 19th? I don't know. I see, I see both. Um, yeah, Zephaniah. Has anyone ever heard uh, a, a sermon from Zephaniah before? Does anyone think I'm joking that there's a book that exists called Zephaniah? Yeah, if you've heard of it, I doubt you're willing to stand up and give a brief summary of it. But uh, here we go. We, we got a lot to do with Zephaniah. Basically, what I want to do is we want to look at our idols, right? We learned from Jonah that we all have them, that we all have this bent in us that says, I, I don't want to worship God. I want to worship myself. And that usually manifests itself a couple different ways. We usually cling to other things rather than clinging to God. And that, that, that's a problem, Right? That's a problem. And, and it was shown to us in the beginning of Jonah when God comes to Jonah and he says, hey, go to that city. I'm going to destroy it because they're evil. But at the end of Jonah, nothing happens. Right? They don't get destroyed. They're all saved. And everything's kind of cheery. It's, except that Jonah kind of ends up on the, at the end of the city and he's looking at it and, and he, it just ends there. It's a bit of a cliffhanger. And I took some liberty to assume a few things, and I assumed that God eventually worked in his heart and in his life, and that he was saved, and he was brought back to the Lord, but we don't know that for sure. We don't know that. So, so what I'm doing is I'm taking this idea of idols, that we all have them, that we all naturally cling to them rather than the Lord, and I'm saying, so what? So what? Who cares if we have idols? Where does this lead? What happens if, if we have these idols, and, and, and why is it bad that they're there? And we are going to get a heavy warning from Zephaniah today that says, if you are following an idol, if you are not worshiping me, this is what's going to happen. And this is a bleak, dark picture. It's a bleak, dark picture. When I come up here, I, I come up with a few truths in my pocket. The first one is this, that everything in the Bible is inspired by God. It's here for us. That there is nothing in the Bible that God doesn't want in the Bible. And there's nothing that God wants in the Bible that isn't there. So, so everything is good for teaching. right? We know this is true. We know this is true. The other truth that I hold is that the entire Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, starting from Genesis all the way through Revelation, is essentially one story. 
It's a story of God creating a people and a people rejecting him and God continually calling them back to him. God saying, forget, forget these idols. They're not going to satisfy you. They're not going to fulfill you. I am the only thing that will bring you peace. I'm the only thing that you'll find joy in. And it's this whole story of God bringing people back to him. And in, in Zephaniah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint this picture of the Old Testament. I'm going to paint this picture that says, this is what was happening in the Old Testament. And then here's Zephaniah. Here's, here's his cry to the people to turn back to the Lord. So I'm going to start in the very beginning. I'm going to fly through this. You guys, you probably didn't think that you're going to get the entire history of the Old Testament today, but, but you're lucky. We're getting it. Here we go. We start in the very beginning with Genesis, right? And God is there and nothing else. And God creates everything. And he says, this is good. This is a wonderful thing. And God creates Adam and Eve and life is good. And they're with him. They're with God in the garden and everything is grand. But God says, don't do this one thing. Don't do this one thing. And, and nature says what? I, I want to do it. I want to touch it. I, I just, I, I want it. Right? That's our nature. And, and they do it. And then humanity falls apart. Humanity falls apart. It falls apart so bad that God says, you know, I want, I want to destroy everybody. And he does. Except for one man and his family and a bunch of animals and an ark. Right? And then, and then after the ark, humanity again falls apart. And God calls out one person in Genesis 12. He calls out Abraham and he says, Abraham, you're my boy. You're my man. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your family. And through your family, I'm going to save everyone. I'm going to save everyone. And, and there's one problem here. Abraham's pushing 100. Right? And, and he doesn't have any kids. And so he's saying, well, how, how are you going to do this? Not only am I 100, but my wife is, is older. Uh, he doesn't say how old she is. Take note. He just says she's older. Right, and, and then a couple of years go by, and nothing happens. Okay, I'm, I'm trusting you, Lord. You're, you're going to provide for us a child, but, but nothing happens. So, so what happens? Abraham's wife tries to pull a fast one. She says, "Yeah, here, have my friend." Um, that creates a horrible situation that, to this day, is a problem. I'm not going to go there, but but it is. They end up having a kid. God is good, right? You have Isaac. Isaac's here. Um, Isaac ends up having two sons, Jacob and Esau. All right, life's good. However, the younger son, he, he wants to steal. He wants to steal from his older brother, the birthright. And he does. He lies to his dad and he says, Dad, I'm your older son. Bless me. You can't see. You can barely hear. Feel my arm. It's hairy. Right? And he does. He, the, the dad blesses him and, and everything's great. Except some, some battles come on. Um, Jacob and Esau don't like each other. They run away. Um, Jacob has a bunch of kids. He's got a lot of them. He's got 12, 13, right? The youngest one, we, we know of him. His name's Joseph. Right, you ever heard of Joseph? Um, guy with big mouth, you know, the youngest son. Hey, everyone, you guys are all going to worship me. And his older brother and sister's like, I'm going to kill this guy. And essentially they do. And one of the brothers says, you know, why don't we not just kill him? Why don't we put him into slavery? So he goes from Israel to Egypt. He's in slavery. All of a sudden, things are going well for Joseph. All right, things are going well. He becomes the second in command, and he's put up there because God is working through him. There's a famine in the land. The brothers come back to Egypt, and essentially what happens is they get reunited again, even though they meant horrible things for their brother. He actually saves them because God was working through that all. All the people come to Egypt now because there's food in Egypt. All of Israel, their family, they come here. They start having tons of kids. They start having so many kids that 
the Egyptians start getting scared. Like, uh-oh, what are we going to do? You know, if there's a war, they're going to fight against us. This is a problem. we got a lot of people who aren't Egyptian. They might start a war against us. So let's just start killing them. You know, why don't, in fact, we kill all the baby boys? That's a great idea. Little Moses gets put in the basket. He escapes. You know, you guys know who Moses is. Moses grows up in the, in the house of Pharaoh. He's cruising along one day. Sees, sees um, an Egyptian beating on one of his cousins or one of his family members or a person of the same tribe. And he says, I've had enough. I'm going to kill this guy. So he kills the Egyptian. And he runs away because he knows he's going to get caught and he's going to get in trouble. And he's out in the desert. And he finds this group of people. And they say, okay, you, you can kind of watch our sheep for us, I guess. So here's Moses chilling out in the desert by himself. And he sees this bush. All right, it starts to burn. I mean, if that happened to me, a bush is burning and, but it's not being consumed. I'm, I'm looking for like Ashton Critcher. Am I getting punked here? Like w- what's going on? You know, takes off his sandals. God says, okay, I haven't forgotten about my people. I-, I love them. They're in slavery in Egypt, but I haven't forgotten about them. I'm still their God. They're still my people. I have something for them. I have a plan. I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And, and Moses says, I Right? I got a speech impediment. I'm not able to do this. I don't trust you, God, that what you say I can do, I can actually do. And God says, no, you need to do it. And eventually, through this long um, back and forth situation, uh, Moses does it. He goes, he gets all the people. They, they escape. God parts the Red Sea, and they come back to the promised land. Little problem, though, there's people in the promised land. And God says, this is yours. The promised land is yours. Just go check it out. And so they send 12 people to go look at the land. And what happens during this time? You know, the 12 people, they go. Ten of them say, oh, no way. Uh, there's no way we're going in there. Those people are crazy. They'll kill us. Right? We, no, we can't do it. But, but two guys say, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb say, no, this is our land. God has told us we can have this. This is ours. He's promised it to us. So we can go in there. But God says, Nope, you guys have all rejected me. Everyone else said you can't. Fine, wander around the desert. You got 40 years, no one's going in, except for Joshua and Caleb. So everyone's wandering around. Everyone's wandering around until everyone dies. And then Joshua and Caleb get to go in. And through Joshua, he leads the people through tons of um, battles and wars. And it's a very bloody time for Israel. After Joshua dies, basically you have all these judges who are, are horrible leaders. They've rejected the Lord. They, they don't worship God as God. They, they worship themselves. They worship other foreign gods, and, and they're doing their own thing. And then after a while, everyone says, you know, we're tired of, of, of hearing directly from God. We want a king. We want someone who can rule over us, and be, we want to be like everyone else. And God says, you know what's going to happen if you get a king? You're going to get taxed. They're going to take your men into the armies. You, you don't want this. You, you want to just follow me. And they say, nope. That's not true. We don't, we don't want to follow you. We, we want a king. So God gives them a king. They get Saul. Um, horribly disappointing. Horribly disappointing king. And then, then comes David. Right? I, I think we have um, a David in the making here at Northwest Hills. Bear with me here. If you take some of the gifts of all of our pastors, I think if you take like the wisdom of Pastor Andy and the like musical and lyrical genius of Pastor Paul, and you take the uh, charisma of Pastor Tom, and like the rugged handsomeness of Pastor Randall, and, um, 
if only we had like a, a young pastor, like a 26-year-old guy or something. I mean, if we had one of those, I would say that we'd take his ability to like kill lions and bears with his bare hands, and, and then, then we could put them all together, and then there's David, right? A guy after, after God's own heart. He's just a ferocious worshiper, a mighty warrior, just a man's man. He's like the guy you are picking first for your team. He, you know, he's the guy who, who goes out, sees this giant, and says, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I got God on my side. Bring it on. Let's go. Right? He, he's the guy you want if you're getting in a brawl. One little problem, though. Right? We got a problem. A little thing called murder and adultery. Right? So things are good. He's a great leader, but problem. Right? And because of this, God says, your, your, your family's done. And from here, we just get a total, total destruction of the family of David, right? What happens? His son dies. His other son rapes his daughter. His other son starts a war against him. And his family basically disintegrates. But during this time, David is a follower of the Lord. He loves the Lord. And he says, I want to build you a house. I want to build you the temple that we can come and we can worship you. And it's going to be this glorious, beautiful, magnificent building. And I want it for you. And God says, okay, you can get everything for it, but you can't build it because there's too much blood on your hands. Your boy Solomon's going to build the temple. And so at this point in Israel's history, everything is great. It's grand. They build this just magnificent temple. Everything is glorious. It's, it's kind of the height of Israel. Except we've got a problem. Right? You, you, start, you start picking up on this in, in Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, I've got everything, but you know, I've got everything that I ever could want. I've got all the money. I've got all the women. I've got everything. I've got all the wisdom. But I can see what's coming. My son's. They're a bunch of fools. So when I die, what's going to happen? And that's exactly what happens. When Solomon dies, his sons take over. Rehoboam becomes king. Right after Rehoboam becomes king, his other son, Jeroboam, says, Hey, that looks fun. I want to be king too. So he hops on board, and, and it splits everything. It splits the whole nation into two different categories, the, the north and the south. You have Israel and Judah now. And from there, those two sons just completely abandon the Lord. You know, Solomon, David, worshipers of the Lord. Solomon's son rejects the Lord. We're, we're following everyone else's idols. We're just like our surrounding neighbors. We are not following the Lord. And Israel just falls apart. It, it just falls apart, and it doesn't take long. It takes about 200 years for the northern kingdom to get annihilated by Assyria. We learned that from Jonah. And then now we're moving on to the southern kingdom, and here we are. And hold with me. We're almost there. We're almost there. Um, things are going bad for everyone. The, the kings are not following the Lord. They're doing evil. They're, the, things are not good. Uh, about 200 years of this happens. I'm going to hop in right in the middle of this 200 years after Solomon. We're going to get to this guy called Hezekiah. Right? Hezekiah says, no, this is enough. We are worshiping the Lord. And there's a massive reform. And everyone comes back to the Lord. He they, they all worship him again. They, they destroy all the idols. And they say, okay, we're so sorry, God. We're sorry that we rejected you for so long. We're, we're going to worship you again as king. And things are good during Hezekiah's reign because he loves the Lord. But then Hezekiah's son comes on, the next guy, 
very next guy, Manasseh, becomes king at age 12. And this is what is said about Manasseh. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations who drove him out of Israel. Right? He, he sets up the altars again in Solomon's temple or in the Lord's temple that Solomon built. He sacrifices his son in the temple to a foreign god. I mean, this, this is dark, evil stuff. This is very evil. And, and he's provoking the Lord. The Lord's saying, no, this is my temple. You cannot do this. If you do, destruction's going to come. Don't do this. Destruction is coming. And God promises that to him. He's, he says this phrase is, I'm going to wipe you clean like a plate. I'm going to turn you upside down because you've abandoned me. You've abandoned me. So we just have this continual swing of following the Lord, following ourselves. Following the Lord, following ourselves. After this horrible king Manasseh comes his son Amon, who's just as bad. Who's just as bad. And things are not looking good in Israel at this time. You know, he abandoned the Lord. He followed the ways of his father. Things were evil. Things were evil. And then comes Josiah. Okay, we're almost here. We're almost here. Here's Josiah. He just brings a smile on my face, and you'll find out why next week. But Josiah comes on. Yeah, yeah. Josiah comes on. He's king. He's eight years old. Yeah, I have a seven-year-old nephew. If he was king, I mean, there'd be a lot of like Nintendo DS and Legos going on. Um, I don't know what it looked like for Josiah to be an eight-year-old king, but but we're gonna find out a, a few sweet things that the Lord does through Josiah. So it's right here, right here, where, where Zephaniah comes from. You know, when we get to the book of Zephaniah, I want you to think, okay, things were really, really bad for a long time. Hezekiah comes on. Things are really good. He loves the Lord. And then things got even worse. There's a ton of idolatry. We're worshiping pagan gods. And now comes Josiah. And right after Josiah gets on, here comes Zephaniah. So this is where we're reading from. So open up your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 1. It's toward the end. If you want to just start with Matthew and work backwards, it might be easier to find. Chapter 1, verse 1, from Zephaniah. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Amon, king of Judah. Okay, we don't know a lot about Zephaniah. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we do know that he is the great, great grandchild of Hezekiah. Remember, Hezekiah was the guy who, who tore down all the altars and said, this is going to, we are going to worship the Lord. He, he tore them all down. So this is his great, great grandchild here. I'm going to do two things with the chapter today. We're going to look at chapter one. We're going to look at the very beginning of chapter two, and we're going to do two things. The first thing is we're going to look at what his message was. What is the main message that Zephaniah has for his people? It, it is not um, an easy message to hear. It is a dark message. And then two, we're going to look at why the message was coming, why he said it. Okay, so first, we're going to start off with what the message is. So follow along. It's not going to be like Jonah where we, went, where we read straight through it. It's a little bit harder to do that because things are kind of uh, jumbled all around. So I will call out the verses that we're going through. Starting at verse 2. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble of the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. 
I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Be silent, this is verse 7, before the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on that day, the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons. Skipping to 12. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish these men who are complacent. God's saying, this is enough. It's enough. You've had over a thousand years. I've been telling you, leave your idols and worship me. Leave them and worship me. And you haven't done it. I'm so gracious. I'm so merciful. See, what blows my mind is people think of the Old Testament God as just this angry God who's constantly punishing people. That is so far from the truth. We have, we have this God who's constantly saying, come back to me. I'm giving you thousands of years. Come back to me. If you don't, punishment's coming, but come back to me. And he holds off for so long, but he makes this promise. If you don't do this, destruction is coming. I'm going to just leave the wrath part there for now. We're going to come back to it. But, but what I want to focus on right now is why. Why is God bringing this destruction? You know, what was going on in Judah at the time that caused God to say, I'm going to wipe you like a plate? What's going on? Let's, um, let's jump right in. Um, he gives us six reasons. Six reasons. I'm going to lift, list them all off here, and then we're going to hammer them out. Verse 4. This is the first reason. I will cut you off from this place, the remnant of Baal, and the name of the idolatrous priests. Number two from five. Those who bow down on the roofs of the hosts of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom. Number three comes from verse six. Those who have turned their back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Number four comes from verse eight. I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. Number five comes from verse nine. Those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud or deceit. Number six comes from verse 12. Those who stay, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. God's saying, I have had enough. I've had enough, and here's why. Because you've rejected me on all six of these terms, and you've sought after these gods. You've clung to them much harder than you've clung to me, and destruction is coming. And Zephaniah is is heralding this, saying, guys, listen. Listen, if if you don't turn back to the Lord, this destruction is coming. And and we're going to see in a minute that it's coming quick, and you don't have a lot of time. So listen up here. Ultimately, God is going to destroy the nation. And and ultimately, Christ is coming back. And and we know what happens when he's coming back. We're going to get there in a second. Let's just jump right in. Verse 4, this is is the first one. Why why, destruction is coming. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests. Okay, Baal was worshipped throughout the whole Old Testament, many different places. Um, And the term for Baal is is used differently in some of the different contexts. In this specific context, the worship of Baal here here was 
was worshiping the, the fertility god. And as part of their worship to this fertility god, um, what was involved was just horrible, horrible um, sexual acts that, that I'm really not going to mention here. Um, but, but what I do want to mention, and, and what we do need to draw attention to, is just this idol of sexual idolatry here. And this is an idol that our culture loves. We love it. Right? One of the biggest idols that we deal with in our, in our culture is sex. Right? And I don't even have to, I don't even have to read the Bible. I, I don't even have to open up Zephaniah to talk about this. Just, just open your eyes. Look at advertising. Right? Our, our culture is so immersed in, in selling of sex that, that everything's about it now. Right? Drink this and everyone's going to want to be with you. Right, right. Just do this. And, and it's almost gotten to the point of just ridiculousness. Right. You, you can see a commercial and there'll be a guy who's, you know, putting up mini blinds. He's got new mini blinds for his house and, and he puts them up. And then the neighbor girl walks by who's really attractive. And, and you know, she says, wow, look at those new mini blinds. I got to I got to come inside. You know, I, it's ridiculous. And, and we laugh because it's true. It's it's absolutely ridiculous what we use to sell things. But, but this is what our culture has done. We've taken this just wonderful gift that God has given us, this wonderful gift of sex that God has given us between a husband and a wife relationship, and, and we've just distorted it, and we've twisted it into something that will never be satisfying. Because, because what we're saying here is we're saying that if you just look this way, if you just feel this way, if you just get this, then you're going to find satisfaction then you're going to find fulfillment. Then you're going to find joy. And this really couldn't be farther from the truth. You aren't ever going to be satisfied. You never will find fulfillment in seeking after these things. And again, you don't have to open the Bible to, to know that. Right? All you got to do is go to Winco and not close your eyes at the checkout stand. Right? You read the magazines. You know, they're all right there. They're right in front. And they always have these huge uh, advertisements. You know, it's, it's really crazy what's out there. You know, 10 new ways to always satisfy her. You're like, really? Because the article right next to it says, forget everything you learned about how you could please a woman. You, you know, and we're constantly just pushing the envelope. We're constantly saying, no, 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 this is what you need to do. No, this is what you need to do. And all I have to do is ask the question, so how's that working out for you? Right? Are you finding your satisfaction and your joy and your fulfillment there? We're not. Because that's not where our satisfaction and fulfillment comes from. Just read statistics on eating disorders. Right? Right? It's a horrible statistic. Somewhere between 20 and 40% of women, young and old, struggle with this. Right? And it's not uncommon to hear guys these days who are struggling with it. And our culture is just lying to us, and it's killing us, and it's tragic. It says, if you look this way, if you feel this way, you're going to be happy. And the tragedy is that it's just ravaging our culture. It's ravaging our culture, and we're spending so much money, so much time. Some of us, our whole lives are seeking after this one thing that will not bring joy and fulfillment. And it is a deep and dark and lonely path. 
that if you have gone down or if you are down right now, I can only plead from up here to seek help. I'm, I'm going to talk about some ways next week that, that we can seek help from some of these idols, some place that we can go to, some people um, that we can talk to. Because you're, you're not an island. The, the body of Christ is, is given to us so that we can be fulfilled in Christ through one another, that, that we can work these things out. I'm going to move on here. Um, verses 5 and 8. I'm going to combine these two together because the, the very root of the idolatry is, is essentially the same thing. Verse 5. Those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens and those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear to Milcom. Verse 8. I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. Right? I love the Lord. I swear to the Lord, but I also swear to Milcom. I love the Lord, but I kind of just do whatever I want to do. Right? I, I'm, I'm up on my rooftop. I'm worshiping the stars and the moon. And, and I see them as being the celestial gods who are in control of our calendar. You know, here I am worshiping them. You know, my, my, my wife is a creator. She, she creates all sorts of wonderful things. Um, she quilts. She makes animals. Not real animals, stuffed animals. Um, she paints, and, and she's the best at it, I think. And last week, she made this, this just gorgeous shower curtain. And, and when she's done, she comes up to me and she says, Hey, come check out our new shower curtain. It's beautiful. You know, what would she do if I looked at that shower curtain and I said, I got to see that sewing machine. Like, how did that happen? Uh, let me see the needle. Where's the thread? How did that do that? That's amazing. Well, those things are incredible. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? My wife made them. The sewing machine didn't make them. My wife did. I mean, I would be in some serious trouble if I said that. I probably wouldn't be here. I'm just joking. I would be here. Um, but that's what's happening. I mean, I mean we have these people who are, who are worshiping these things that God says, I made that. Why are, you, why are you worshiping that? Worship me. I mean, it would be ridiculous if I started worshiping a needle and said, wow, you did so good, you little needle. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. But that's what's happening. Right? And not only that, but the second part of this is, is an assimilation into other cultures. Right? Today, if I were to throw on a Laker jersey, I'm not, I'm not, associ- I'm not saying that I am them. I'm saying I like them, I follow them. I'm getting some glares. Uh, if, uh, OSU jersey. Um, whatever it is, right? But in that day, if you were to wear the attire of a foreign country, you're basically saying, I am functionally participating in what they worship, in, in who they call God. And that was happening in Israel. They're putting on their clothes. They are associating themselves, and they are adopting the foreign gods. This is very, very prominent in our culture. In our culture, the word for this is called syncretism, right? We join with everyone else so that we don't look any different. We don't look any different. And this is a natural tendency. A lot of us want to be synchronized with everything. And, the, and some of you are like, oh, no way. I don't want to be synchronized. So you come over here and you want to be separated, right? So we have this, this bent in us. And most of us are, are, are trying to go one way or the other, 
Right on the separationist side, you, you have like the ultimate helicopter tiger mom who, you know, your kids can never go to public school. You can never watch TV. You can only wear khaki pants. You can never eat chocolate. You know, you can never laugh too much. You can only read the Bible. And, and you just build this hedge around yourself that says, I'm not going to let anything um, from the world af- get into my life. I'm not going to go out there at all. I'm not going to have any non-Christian friends. I- I'm just going to protect myself. Right? And then on the other side, on, on the synchronistic side, you have people who say, oh, I'm hopping in on this world and I'm having a good time. Right? And nothing about me is going to look any different. Nothing about me at all. I'm going to go to all the parties. I'm going to have just as much fun. You know, I'm more of a coexist type of guy. You, you know, God works for me, but, you know, you do what you need to do for you. And that's cool. You know, you, you just do what you need to do. And most of us, have a bent one way or the other. And and that bent is an idol that says, I'm going to control my life. I'm going to control it by protecting everything around me, or I'm going to control it by just being a part of everything else and not looking any different. That's the same thing that was going on when Zephaniah is preaching, the same exact thing. Moving forward, verse 6. I'm going to destroy Israel because they've turned their back from following the Lord. And they do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Right? This is just that insane swing to me. It really just blows my mind how you have one king who loves the Lord. There'll be like one verse. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But his son did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Right? That, that blows my mind. But you know what else blows my mind is how often we can come here on Sunday morning and we can listen to, to a sermon and, and we can say in our seats, Oh yeah, I'm not going to be like that anymore. And then you go home in your car and you get home and you find yourself doing the exact thing that you just said, I'm not going to be like that anymore. Because we have this bent that says, I I want that. I want that fruit. I want to be like that. It's, It's crazy. It's this crazy swing that we're constantly facing. Verse 9, I'm going to destroy Israel because they filled their master's house with violence and fraud or deceit. Um, I, don't, I don't have a lot of time here to get into this, but, but I do want to say this, that one of the biggest idols that I think corporately, as, as a church that we face, is this idol of deceit. And, and, it, and it manifests itself like this. It says, there's nothing wrong with my life. You know, we come here and we have to put on this face, we have to put on these nice clothes, and we have to show to everyone else that, that my life's just dandy, that everything's great. And we think that when we do that, that people will respect us more. When, when in fact, history has told us that it's not often until we're honest that people will begin to respect you. And in the church, this is such a problem. It's such a problem that we put on this facade and we have to pretend like nothing's ever wrong with me and my life's totally fine. And Zephaniah says, no, no, don't cling to that idol. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. We're going to get to the violence thing next week. One of my goals here as a pastor, I've got a lot of goals, but one of them is to, is to help foster a community where we can be honest with one another. A community that embraces people who are going through difficult times. A community that says, I love you for who you are, not for your smiling face and your happy days. 
I'm going to be there when it's a happy day. But most importantly, I'm going to be there when it's a dark day. You know what? Because God has rescued me from those days. And I'm going to help you through it. And you know what? Even though I've been rescued, I go there too sometimes. So that is the, the, the environment that I want. I, I don't want this everything is great and dandy when, when the reality is that most of us are struggling. Most of us are struggling. Verse 12, I'm going to destroy Israel because there are those in their hearts who say, the Lord will do no good, nor will he do ill. Oh man, this is our culture. The Lord's not going to do it. What God? Well, I've, I don't see anything happening, right? My life's cool. Every, everything is good with me. I got my job. I, I, don't, I don't see God. I don't see his work in my life. How could God exist, right? Haven't you heard of the Holocaust? How about the tsunami? How about all these people dying in Africa? God doesn't exist. He's not going to do anything about this. Oh, but he does. And his day is coming. And it's coming quick. And, and we're giving the warning here. We're giving the warning. It's saying, it's coming. Be prepared. Be ready. Right now, there's a very tragic situation happening in the south. Right? We have all these floods coming. The people know that this flood is coming. They know. They've been told. They've seen it on the news. It's on their way. It's just a matter of time. That's all they have. It's, it's either today or it's tomorrow. And, and, and their, their houses is, are done for. And it's just this tragic situation. But what is more tragic is the guy who says, you know what, I don't see it raining outside. I don't believe it. I don't believe that this is coming. Forget it. My life's, my life's good. I don't see any destruction. That would be a tragedy. Take heed to the warning that is given to us. Let go of the idol that is keeping you from God's grace. Let go of it. Destruction is coming for those who forfeit the grace and cling to worthless idols. And God has given us thousands and thousands and thousands of years to repent. But a day is coming, and a day is coming quickly when that's going to end. Keep going, 14 to 18. This is his final call of judgment. The day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. And the sound of that day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty men cries aloud. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cries against the fortified cities and against lofted battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth will be consumed for a full and sudden end, and he will make all the inhabitants of the earth. Right? We love the Jesus we learned about last week. We love the Jesus where, where we have this glorious picture and everyone's happy and, and kids are on the lap and, and everyone's cheerful. Right? We love that. We love fairy loving Jesus. And, and it's glorious and it's true because, because he loves us. And, and that picture is true, but it's only half true. The other half is the Jesus that's coming back with a tattoo and a sword. 
And he's saying, I'm coming back for vengeance. He's not coming via the virgin birth next time. He's coming on a white horse. And that day is coming. It's coming quick. Let's finish up with chapter 2, 1 through 3. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nations, before the decree takes effect. Right now, before it happens, before Jesus comes back, gather together before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. Do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord. Don't wait. Do not wait. Life is busy. Right? Some of you who are older know this, and you wonder, where did life just go? It comes and it goes. It comes in the morning and it goes in the morning. It's gone like shaft. That means that it's not here for long. Don't wait. Seek the Lord now. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of anger. This day is coming. Let's be ready. Let's pray. Lord, you are a glorious and mighty and holy God. You have given us so many chances to come back to you. Lord, we have this bent in us that says, I want what I want. I want my way. I want to serve what I want to serve. I I will follow you when it's convenient for me. When it makes me feel good, I'll follow you. But but I just, I want to be king of my life. Zephaniah has showed us where that leads. The destruction that is coming because of our, our rejection of you. Jesus, how arrogant of us. Take us off our thrones. Let us worship you as king. Amen.